Welcome to another edition of Shed Chats. I'm Peter White, and today we're discussing the pros and cons of investing in listed infrastructure versus unlisted infrastructure. And today's guest is Charles Hamey from Rare Infrastructure, the Australian-based global infrastructure investment specialist. Welcome, Charles. Thanks, Peter. The difference opportunity sets between listed and unlisted infrastructure. If you look at listed standalone, you have a very wide opportunity set. And one of the, the real beauties of, of being in a listed market is that at any point in a cycle, we can get access to very high quality assets um, in that core part of infrastructure, very attractive valuations. So enlist is a very forward opportunity set. Currently our opportunity set is well over 2 trillion US dollars across our various benchmarks. Um, and that extends from regulated utilities to airports to midstream companies. So a very wide opportunity set. When you talk about unlisted infrastructure, a lot of that opportunity set is is very much a, a function of the assets that are for sale at that particular point in time. You're not talking about a very fluid and dynamic opportunity set. A lumpy set. It's very lumpy. And it's a function of you know project by project. And at the moment, most of the assets that, that we see coming to market that are attracting unlisted investors are primarily about midstream space in the US and globally and renewable energy. And again, you haven't seen any really high quality core infrastructure assets come to market very recently. Most of those are owned by listed companies. You haven't seen any significant sort of airport and user pays assets come to market as well. So a much more limited subset of our universe that's available for unlisted investors compared to listed investors. And from what you're saying, the quality on offer at the moment really is in the listed area, not in the unlisted area. If I I was to say, let's build a portfolio of 20 of the highest quality infrastructure utility assets around the world, 20 out of those 20 would be owned by listed companies. (laughs) And that hasn't changed now for 10, 15 years. So whether it be the highest quality airport, the highest quality regulated utility, electricity, gas, water, whether it be the highest quality toll road, they're all owned by listed entities. So that's a, a function of well and truly over decades of asset gathering. Whereas unlisted at the moment, there is still availability of high quality assets. There wouldn't, we wouldn't classify those as core assets. It'd be a much more broad definition of what infrastructure is. Some of those assets would have commodity exposure and volume and pricing risk, perhaps would even make our, our universe of investable assets. So still quality, um, but certainly the highest quality assets are all owned by listed entities. That's interesting. Mm. Are the valuation techniques similar in terms of listed versus unlisted, or is there a, a different set of parameters? Well, I suppose it depends on which manager you're investing in in the listed space. I mean, if you go back to the inception of Rare, I mean, the genesis of our thinking back then, almost 15 years ago, was trying to replicate the risk-return characteristics in the unlisted market, but in a listed space. And that really influenced everything we did um, from who we hired to our process and our valuation techniques. The valuation technique we use at Rare is an internal rate of return. And if I go back to my days in unlisted infrastructure, it's what I also used, an IRR. It's probably the cleanest and probably the most precise way to measure value in these assets where you can capture the mature, steady cash flow and also capture any expected growth in the assets. So, you know, Rare, very similar. Other managers who use multiple-based approaches would be very different to the way an unlisted manager would look at it. I mean, the one benefit an unlisted manager has is the access to information. So when you're buying an unlisted asset, typically you have significantly more information to take and make a view than I would have as a listed investor, which means that you can model and really drive down and drill down to the cash flows and analysis. Whether you get it right or wrong, you know, time tells. Enlisted, you don't have that massive access to information. So obviously at Rare, we spent great deals of time um, understanding the drivers of cash flows and then capturing those pretty accurately in a, in a model. 
in any discussion of infrastructure, you hear talk of a liquidity premium, particularly related to listed infrastructure. What What is the liquidity premium? Well, I suppose it's probably most relevant now. Or is there one as well? well? If you look at the valuations that we see in listed compared to unlisted, we think that in a way it's like a you know, you're being penalized for liquidity at the moment by being a listed investor. Because a lot of the recent transactions we've seen in unlisted have occurred at multiples, which are significantly higher than a listed comparable. And it always surprises me that can be the case. So in fact, you're saying there's better value in, in listed. I think there's significantly better value. And the numbers tell us that as well. And I suppose, Peter, what you've got to understand is when a listed company sells an asset to an unlisted company, it's very rare that that company, the acquirer, can add such significant value to that asset to justify the significant premium they typically have to pay to buy that asset. These assets, when owned and operated by listed entities, are done very well. They are owned, the capital structure is appropriate, the operations are appropriate. Quite often, the cost of capital is a bit higher, but you're talking about very high quality assets. So it's very surprising to me that unlisted entities can pay significantly high multiples for these assets. Um, a lot of it does depend on you know, the cost of capital and what you find out with unlisted investors. They're prepared to accept a significantly lower cost of equity than we are as listed investors. It's almost counterintuitive, though. Well, it's a bit of an oxymoron, right? Yeah. Because you're buying predictable, resilient cash flows being infrastructure utility, but you're, in a way, negating a lot of that benefit by paying too much for the asset as an unlisted investor. Not all the time. There's a lot of really exceptional unlisted managers out there who, over many decades, have built up really exceptional portfolios. But if you're looking at this wall of money that we see in infrastructure at the moment, unlisted, well over 100 billion US dollars waiting to be invested, you're looking at very limited core assets, almost none currently available. Certainly, certainly not of a size required to fill that 100 billion dollars. So increasingly, these managers are having to broaden and having to invest in businesses we wouldn't invest in. If you're looking at that, the price you pay for those assets becomes very, very important. Every now and then, I scratch my head at some of the multiples I see in my unlisted space. What about ESG? There's a lot of talk about ESG now, the renewables involved in infrastructure more and more. What's the potential for influence on boards, listed versus unlisted? Obviously, unlisted is higher. Um, obviously, you when you buy an asset, you can typically dictate who's on and off the board. You control the board, essentially, so you drive a lot of the policies that are important as it relates to ESG. But the rare process, you know, we've been very engaged with companies for many, many years. ESG has been a very key part of our process at the inception of Rare. It impacts our required return, so we spend quite a bit of time understanding how environmental, social, and governance impacts returns. Understand infrastructure, there's already a very high threshold of ESG because these assets are so important and essential that when I. Regularly public assets, aren't Public they? assets where there's a high level of social engagement and a high level of regulatory engagement. So every dollar of CapEx that a, a US midstream company has to spend has to pass all the various agencies from environmental agencies to all the social stakeholders, etc. So a very high threshold of ESG in the sector. And so whilst unlisted, you can control the board, listed via our process of engaging the board regularly and incorporating ESG in our required return, we think we're one of the better managers in terms of, of capturing it. And that's been quite widely reflected by many of our clients and, and many of the consultants who look at our peers. Well, finally, what's the rare view of the immediate future in the sector? Is value going to be harder to find or is there more assets coming to market? How do you see the next couple of years unfolding in your core market? You know, I think it's a, it's a good time to be an investor. And I sort of frame it in the context of the environment where we're investing in at the moment. So we're investing in an environment where rates will be lower for significantly longer, where inflation is somewhat controlled, and where growth, it's not going to be heroic. So 
that means that rates will be anchored at low rates uh, at low levels, and that's a very good environment for infrastructure. Because what that what that environment means is that return expectations generally across most asset classes have to fall, and they have been falling significantly. If you can invest in an asset class like infrastructure, where you get an allowed return from a regulator, or you have a concession agreement which means that you have appropriate and very predictable returns. In an environment where return expectations are falling, it's a powerful characteristic to have. and puts a floor on asset prices. So going forward, we're as positive as we've ever been. We think 2020 will be a good year economically. Nothing heroic, but certainly not a recession. We think the assets, if you use 2019 as, as the benchmark, have had exceptional 2019s, and the outlook for 2020 across most of our portfolio is, is very good. So we're as excited as we've ever been. Oh, it's nice to finish on good news. Thanks, Charles. It is. Thanks very much, Peter.